0: Welcome Welcome to to We Need to To Talk 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 About Tech, Tech. Uh, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. On this week's episode, we talk about the upcoming Huawei Mate X2. We talk
1: about iMac redesigns with colors and new Apple silicone chips.
0: And the PlayStation VR 2 for PS5.
1: On to topic number one. Huawei has announced its third generation foldable phone. It's switched from an outside fold to an inner fold, kind of copying the Samsung Z Fold 2. And it has upgraded the cameras, which it co-engineered with Leica. Now they've also announced their new Harmony OS, which is launching for their flagship phones later this year in April. And uh, so what do you think of this new design for their foldable and what do you think of Harmony OS?
0: So, um, first I'll start with the OS. Uh, Harmony OS is going to be interesting. I think I never really liked Huawei's and a lot of the the Chinese manufacturers, honestly, um, Xiaomi, Huawei, uh, their OS aesthetically tries to ape a lot of the cues from Apple. Um, a lot of the transparency effects and, you know, where uh, quick actions are and stuff like that it's usually kind of mimicking the more Apple style, which I've never really been a fan of. Um, now, Xiaomi does give the option to try to, to kind of switch between a more Apple style and uh, a more Android style. And Huawei started to introduce that that kind of same aspect up until you know their phones started not being available in North American markets anymore. Um, and I'm kind of hoping that that Harmony grasps grasps a little bit more of the androids the typical android style than than the apple style which i don't think they will i think this is going to give them the opportunity to kind of focus more on the chinese market and cater to what is is th- they kind of want and i think that's that's actually perfectly fine because these phones are not going to be available outside of those markets so yeah cater to those uh to those customers who already don't you know most phones in those markets already don't have Google Play services, so I don't think it's going to be that big of a jump. Um, so yeah, Harmony OS I think is just going to be something that's going to be uh, a slow going for for Huawei as they build up their app store and and kind of build dominance. That being said, I do think it's going to push them into a direction to kind of force them to make a whole app ecosystem that is is going to be competitive uh, on on some scale with google over time um we've kind of seen this with amazon you know amazon and google have their little arguments and you know google play services is not on any uh amazon device it's their own app store their own apps that you know people submit to amazon directly and you can kind of see where that disconnect is but generally a lot of the apps that you would want um the main apps that you would want on a google uh Play device is also available on Amazon. I could imagine that in the Chinese markets, it's going to be a similar thing where a lot of the apps that you would have wanted on the Play Store, if it existed, would be available on, on Harmony OS Store. Um, now, as for the design, I think it's the smarter design. Uh, when it comes to folding phones with, right now, the fact that the screen has to be plastic, um, having that that plastic screen protected with it folding inward, definitely makes more sense than it being exposed to the elements but i do think it kind of takes a little bit away from the uniqueness of the original huawei mate x that kind of made it very different than what samsung was doing with the with the samsung fold so yeah i think all of this is just huawei kind of moving in stride like none of this stuff is really all that revolutionary compared to what we saw with the galaxy fold um but I do think you're going to get that little bit of extra Huawei polish. Uh, the Mate X looked incredibly cool when it came out um, about two years ago now. A little bit more than a year ago now. And I think this phone it has that ca- same kind of polish to it. Like when you compare it to the uh, Galaxy Fold 2, um, Z Fold 2, this phone looks a little bit more modern. It looks a little bit more complete. Um, which I think Huawei has done a really good job with. So yeah, I think it's just going to be one of those things where the people who can buy it, it's going to be probably the best foldable phone in that market um, and probably the best foldable phone in that market for a long time to come until the technology starts to get better where we can have folding glass or some kind of hybrid of when it gets closer to the seam, it kind of fades into a plastic material that allows it to fold. But, you know, away from that seam, it kind of is more glass, so you can use stuff like pens and stuff like that without fear of damaging the screen but other than that i think this is business as usual for huawei and uh i can't wait to see chinese uh, market get their hands on it and and kind of give it a review and compare it directly to the the galaxy fold if possible
1: yeah um i'd say i'm pretty surprised by the redesign i mean like you said they were outside folding phone and for the longest time right they were preaching how much more beneficial this outside fold is one thing they harped on was well because our phone folds outside we don't need that additional third screen and it's unnecessary this is clearly the better way to go and for them to now turn around and kind of copy what samsung has done i mean i personally think the new design is better i think the way samsung was going about things was better too you brought up a good point about them being unique with their design but i guess it's kind of they weighed the pros and cons of being unique and it was they weren't unique enough to drive customers towards them so they figured well our crazy design isn't attracting people so we might as well copy what samsung's doing yeah right but like you said great great build quality right it looks like a great phone when you talk about the screens like the screens, both outside and inside, are bigger, have better resolution, better pixel density, and even the cameras are better too. I mentioned earlier they kind of uh, they co-engineered the camera system with Leica, mm-hmm. which are calling their Ultra Vision Leica quad camera setup. It's pretty comparable to what Samsung has on the uh, S21 Ultra and one complaint about the Z Fold 2 that a lot of people had, is it doesn't take the best pictures, right? It's kind of, they put all this extra money into the folding aspect of the phone and they skimped on the cameras, whereas Huawei is taking, okay, we have a great folding setup, a great folding technology, and we're putting this great camera setup into it also, right? So I think them adopting this new Samsung, style or I guess let's say the inside screen style it's gonna force Samsung to step up their game now mm. now they can't say okay we have this great fold and setup you know we have this great folding phone we're the best on the market but we're gonna put a crappy camera in it because who else can give the, you the same sort of fold with a good camera but now Huawei's saying hey we can have the same fold a better screen and a better camera now, like you said, they they're only really available in the Asian market and the European market. They're not available in the North American market, really. So that is, you know, there isn't going to be as much competition as if they were available in the North American market. But I'm definitely interested to see. Okay, once these people in Asia, once these people in the UK get their hands on the Mate X2 and they get their hands on the Z Fold 2 and they're able to compare the two together, right? And same thing with the Harmony OS, right? I I think like you said, them kind of branching out and doing this is gonna force it to get better. Before it was kind of, all right, we're running a sort of Android, but no Android apps and no Play Store, so it's kind of Android, but we're still doing our own thing. Now it's almost like you know they're just ripping off the bandaid and saying, "All right, we're designing our own apps. We're designing our own skin to go on top of this. We're just going to design the whole thing from the ground up." Which, at first, you know, this first iteration, it may be a bit of a struggle, but it's only going to get better the more that they do this, right? And one one thing I want to bring up. So this phone is releasing. It's released now. Yeah. It's released now in the Asian market, in the Chinese market. The update won't be coming until April of this mm. year. They're saying it's going to be, you know, uh, easy, hassle-free changeover from one operating system to the next, which I have serious questions about. Cause you know, updating an operating system, no problem. Companies have gotten very good at. Updated an operating system from like version one to two to 2.5 to whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But changing over an entire operating system from one operating system to the next, I'm assuming there's going to be some sort of difficulty with that. And you know, let's say if you're changing the operating system on a computer, there are ways to troubleshoot. How are you going to troubleshoot that if someone's at home, they're updating their phone, let's say overnight to a new operating system, and they wake up in the morning. And their phone doesn't work because something happened. Mm-hmm. Like how I'm curious to see how the update is going to go and how they're going to deal with any sort of issues that arise from that.
0: Yeah, it's it's well, there is a precedent for this. OnePlus back in the day when they had their falling out with CyanogenMod um, during the run of the OnePlus One, leading into the OnePlus Two, uh, switched over, which decided that they were going to stop using CyanogenMod and not going to update any phones using CyanogenMod anymore. And we're going to instead use their own um, Oxygen OS. And anyone who decided they wanted to move over could update their phone and move over into o- Oxygen OS. And then people who didn't were just stuck on that version of CyanogenMod. There was a couple of of uh, updates that happened after that, but not much. Um, and I would imagine it would be pretty similar to that, because at the end of the day, the people who have gotten their hands on Harmony OS are saying, And I think the foundation is this is Android. This is pretty much just an offshoot of Android. Um, So I imagine the APKs and stuff like that that are approved are going to be able to run on Harmony OS just fine. The one thing that I do think is going to be a little bit difficult is, like you mentioned, European markets. The idea of this changeover, I think, is a way to message the fact that you're not going to be able to sideload, you know, Google Play services. And if you, even if you could, it would be very difficult. It would be a very intensive um, process, which I think, you know, there was such a huge Huawei fan base um, for the devices that were make, they were making all the way back since the Nexus 6P that I imagine a lot of people who decided they wanted to stick with that brand would think, oh, okay, I could just buy the phone and sideload you know, the ability to use the Google Play Store later on. Um, and I think this is Huawei's stance of saying this is that's not going to be very much of a possibility, and even if it is, it's going to be very difficult. It's not something that we're going to support um, or we're going to tell you how to do or even um, make it easy for that to happen. So I think this is them kind of drawing a line in the sand of saying our days with using the Android moniker on our phones are done, um you know there was a lot of rules that kind of dictated us having to do this we can't do business with google anymore so we're going to start fresh with this harmony os even though it is still basically android we don't want our customers to think of it as android because it's not going to be used in the same way it's not going to have the same kind of aesthetic it's not going to have the same app store it's not going to have the same google play services it's not going to have gmail it's not going to have chrome so I think that's a good way to message to potential customers that this is something different, even though the building blocks of it are pretty much uh, the same. But I guess, uh, you know, if you have anything else to add, definitely let me know. But a question I definitely have for you is do you see a folding phone future? Like, do you think folding phones are going to be something that entices you to, to replace your phone with something that folds? Um, because I'm, I look at all of these... First of all, the price tags of these phones is astronomically high. But then I look at all the sacrifices that you have to make with a folding phone, not just within price, but like you mentioned, the Galaxy Fold 2, to kind of make it even somewhat affordable, had to downgrade the cameras a bit. You know, the idea that the the screen is plastic and, you know, is easy to scratch and easily damaged. Uh, the durability of the phones, water and dust resistance, like all of these things are, are not really at the standard of a flagship phone from you know, the S21 or the, the iPhone series, do you ever see folding phones getting to the point where they can be that good? Or do you think this might just be kind of like uh, something that comes up as an idea but never really sticks, kind of like 3D TVs or something like that that's happened in the past?
1: I definitely see it becoming a thing. Hmm. Um, I mean, last year when we were talking about, you know, the Z Fold 2, the the Surface Duo, right, we both liked those phones and like the potential of those phones. But as you said, it's expensive and there's certain compromises you have to make. Now there's a lot of rumors floating around that both Apple and Google are working on foldable phones. Is that just, you know, research and development and maybe they decide, Hey, it's not worth it to get into this market. Or is it possibly something that comes out like at the end of this year or next year? We'll have to, we'll have to see, but, I can guarantee if apple gets into it right it's going to sell yeah they, it's pretty much whatever they get into whatever they decide to push their will push their research and development but also push their marketing behind it will do well i like the versatility of a folding phone especially the Okay, you have an outside screen where it is just a regular size phone. And then when you want to do more multitasking or be more efficient with your work, you can open it up to a full size tablet screen. I I love the idea of that. But just the way it's structured now, it doesn't doesn't entice me enough. One, because just the form factor that they're using Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and two, mainly to the price. Yeah, right. But let's say years down the line, where they have refined a lot of the design of the phones and they've made it more i guess cost effective to to build and sell i could definitely see myself using a foldable phone just because like i mentioned right the versatility of having a regular size phone and then having a tablet all in one device but it won't be until okay it's comparable in price to a flagship phone Mm -hmm. Right? or at least a current flagship phone now right it won't be until that happens that I can see like the mass public using these foldable phones yeah because imagine if you could imagine if you had an iPhone pro Max and you could open it up into an iPad air mm-hmm. you could attach it to a keyboard and do your work there and then okay I gotta go fold it back up put it in your pocket I mean that's a, a bold future but I guess that's kind of the idea that these foldable phones right now, are trying to are trying to convey, right? This is what they see as the future. We're definitely not at the future yet, but it's it's slowly getting closer and closer to it. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, I I definitely agree with you. Uh, agree with you there. Um, especially like I was a person who was a big fan of smaller tablets, like around the eight inch um, mm-hmm. tablet size, and those don't really exist anymore. No one's really making them outside of Apple, and I could definitely see something like a folding phone device kind of replacing that. Um, I was a really big fan of the Surface Duo, at least the concept of it. And it has, like you said, price is a huge factor. It has recently come out in in Canada, and it's almost $1,900 before taxes. Um, And it's not even really all that great of a phone. So, yeah, definitely the price is going to be something that definitely needs to get addressed over time. But, yeah, I I agree. I I hope folding phones do uh, eventually get better. Um, And kind of get more polished to the point where they can be a flagship and 100% if Apple makes one um, That will definitely be first of all. They don't do things without doing them, right? They're not the the first to ever do anything They're they're always the one that once it once they're doing it. it, They have the proper method of getting it done properly Um, So if Apple does end up making a folding phone, I think that's going to be a good indication that they're actually getting better yeah, and just about Huawei not being in North
1: America right now right that was a result of the the past administration mm-hmm. now with the new administration you know running the United States there could be a time where Huawei is allowed back in in North America again or allowed in the US and they can do business with Google who knows but i i think for the market right for the for the regular everyday consumer we won't really get great foldable phones until Samsung and Huawei are allowed to battle each other. Or, you know, when iPhone comes into it, sure, too. But at least for right now, right, if Samsung has an entire market to themselves that they don't have to worry about, that's just kind of... There's no one pushing them to be better. Yeah. Obviously, they're pushing themselves to be better, but there's a lot more of a push when you have an external competitor that's taking market space away from you as opposed to, okay, let's just improve on some complaints from our phone last year
0: and there are rumors that xiaomi is is trying to get into the folding space as well um you know i think they're they're starting to to think about buying folding displays and kind of manufacturing a phone around that so yeah 100 percent as competition kind of increases it's only going to kind of force samsung to make their product better but also force the price down Um, we saw the same thing with kind of like the all screen phones Back in the day when, uh, I think it was Xiaomi, the Mi Mix was one of the first phones that kind of have that all screen with a with a chin kind of design. And that was well over $1,000 um, at the time. But now we're starting to see phones with similar designs of that be three, $400. So yeah, it definitely as the competition starts to, to ramp up, those prices are gonna start to come down and the phones are gonna definitely get better.
1: Yeah, okay. A lot of uh, rumors and reports have come out around a huge new redesign for the iMacs that's planned for 2021. Now they're supposed to be modeled after the Pro Display XDR, it's supposed to have new iPad Air style colors and new Apple silicone chips with crazy amounts of cores in them. Uh, the first aluminum front plastic back iMac launched in 2007, there was you know a small redesign in 2009, where they made it a whole aluminum unibody, and really since then there hasn't been too drastic of a change to the design. Like they've kind of made it a bit slimmer in 2012, but really it's just been small spec upgrades. Now, yes, spec upgrades are important, but in terms of the design of of your device, right? It hasn't really changed since 2009. Now there's been a lot of rumors and speculations saying that 2021 there's a huge redesign happening i mean we know last year apple released released their m1 chips and it's kind of it was blowing everything out of the water compared to you know other apple products running intel chips so there's new reports saying that these new imacs could have higher end m series chips as many as 20 cpu cores with 16 high-performance and four high-efficiency cores. Now compare that to the current M1 chip, which has eight cores total, four high-performance cores and four high-efficiency cores. Right now, I guess, how do you feel about these rumored redesigns? Have you seen any of the uh, of the kind of renders that people have done, and what do you think of the rumors of these new chips?
0: Yeah, so definitely, I've seen some of these like uh, concept renders that people have done, and if it looks like that, I'll be so happy. I'm not even a Mac person, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's such a cool design. I, I would I've been saying that the Mac the iMac has needed a redesign for a long time. And you know, I've talked about yeah I would love for them to have touchscreen and Apple Pencil support. Um, but even not, I, I think those are really cool. I hope that's what Apple does. And when it comes to the processors, I, I honestly think I honestly think I would be surprised if they put the higher performance chip in the iMac. Um, And the reason why I say that is because there's two SKUs of the iMac. There's the iMac and the iMac Pro currently, right now. And to me, it would seem a little strange to kind of have a big differentiation between the iMac and the MacBook Pro, the base-level MacBook Pro. Um, To have the iMac be so much more powerful... And potentially be even cheaper than a um, MacBook Pro doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but I could see a situation where the larger MacBook Pros that are going to be uh, would hopefully be redesigned or have M1 design at that same time that they announce the the new iMac. They would say, okay, the iMac will have the M1, and let's say the the more uh, the stronger chip is called the M1X. You'll have the 16 inch MacBook Pro and the 27 inch iMac Pro have the M1X Um, I think that could definitely be a a kind of differentiation between there which kind of to answer your question about excitement about the chip look I I definitely think M1 and Apple Silicon is is really cool definitely it's it's done a lot of cool things for computing Um, I know so many people have reviewed it and talked about how revolutionary it is And to a certain extent, yes. Yes, it is. It is a very big jump for ARM-based computing. Um, But the reason why I wouldn't be too excited about whatever that higher core count uh, Apple Silicon chip might be is I would imagine it's going to be in some very, very expensive products. And that kind of sours my, my excitement a bit. I mean... Just seeing high performance chips in general is going to get me excited just because even if it's something that I will never buy, just the idea of seeing that in the arm space and on Apple products um, just available to consumers like such high performing chips is going to be exciting. But in terms of me being a consumer, I don't expect me being excited about a product that uses it because I would imagine it would be far outside of my price range um in terms of getting it that being said i i honestly can't wait to see what apple uh, announces i imagine um there's rumors that it would be later on in the year um but yeah that that can't come soon enough because I, I definitely want to see what these imac designs look like um, but how about you i know you're currently in the market to potentially replace uh your computer how does this news of you know potentially even more powerful m1 or apple silicon chips coming out uh, in the future I'm pretty excited mm-hmm. uh, yeah what when they come out with their new I
1: guess laptops and whatnot I'll have to kind of figure out what I want to go with yeah but I've kind of been holding out on the M1 because we've heard so many rumors about this new M1X or M2 whatever it is whatever they decide to call it we have been hearing a lot of rumors about those coming out mm-hmm. um, so I'm definitely excited from it We talked earlier in the year about, you know, redesigns to the MacBook Pro, how they're bringing the ports on the side back, they're bringing the HDMI port, they're getting rid of the touch bar, MagSafe is coming back, all kinds of great stuff there. But in terms of, I guess, the chips, right? Some of the recent reports from Bloomberg and other analysts, not necessarily talking about the CPU cores, but some quotes about the GPU cores, right? So for the... GPU, what they're saying, their highest end machines are going to have 64 or 128 core GPUs. So this is going to be like the Mac Pro, not the iMac. So you brought up a good point. They're probably not going to put their most expensive chip in the iMac because they have the iMac Pro, they have the Mac Pro, they have the Mac Pro Mini, they have those coming out later on this year but what people are saying is it's probably coming out in 2022
0: mm-hmm.
1: so those ones are supposed to have a 32 high performance cores so kind of what the rumors are seeing right now these 20 cores that is their mid-range right the m1 chips that came out that had eight cores everyone was kind of blown away by the performance that they had with those eight cores but i mean to see that now they're even going to be doubling that tripling that and that's going to be their mid-range chip. I'm pretty excited for that, right? I was pretty close to getting a MacBook Air just because of how well it performed. But we were both were kind of hung up with the uh, the interface of it, right, the I.O. We were yeah. both kind of hung up on, hey, this only has two USB-C ports. For anyone who's a power user, this really this doesn't work. At some point, they have to address this sort of bottleneck that it seems like there is with the M1 chip. And it seems like these new chips they are designed in the M1X or the M2, it seems like that is going to address the bottleneck and then some. So am I excited for the chips? Definitely. I'm excited for the new design, like you said. Do I care as much about the colors? Not really. I mean, I'm... Pretty. I'm probably going to get something that's either black or gray. Yeah. Pretty simple when it comes to colors. I don't see myself rocking a rose gold iMac, but if these renders or these rumors are true, I'm pretty excited for it. And like you said, the highest end is probably going to be very expensive. But when they bring that new high-end chip, that new high-end computer, that new high-end laptop, that's going to bump down the price of the entry level Mm -hmm. right because now you can't say oh m1 is the newest chip from apple and see what this new apple silicone has to offer well no now that's last year's chip right so you have to bump that down so i'm i'm looking forward to see what happens a bold prediction uh last august they upgraded the internals of the imac i'm predicting an august release or August
0: announcement for this new iMac? I would definitely hope it's it's that soon. Um, yeah, it, it's, the one thing I would say, though, is I when Apple announced the M1, we, we both kind of criticized them for a little bit of their, their marketing materials, of them comparing the M1 to older processors and stuff like that. But the reason why I think that's important is that the fact that they were comparing it to those processors, is I think it kind of laid out Apple's thinking a bit. And I wouldn't be surprised if when they bring out these new processors, they are going to they're going to market them as a premium because essentially they're already saying M1 is the best processor you can buy um, for uh, any kind of computer like it, um, whether it's a Mac Mini or MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, base level MacBook Pro. Uh, I would imagine M1X or whatever it's called, they're going to say, yeah, that's that's still the best chip you can buy in that that range but this is even better and this is going to to kind of have a premium on top of that because we have seen in the past um apple put out you know not great machines like the m1 is a great machine but we've seen them put out not great intel machines and charge a huge premium um for them so i wouldn't be surprised if they can kind of continue that and i really really hope they don't price the the iMacs too high. I think throughout history of the iMac, it's always been overpriced, Um, and I think the M1 has kind of bucked that trend a bit where the performance you're getting with those processors, especially with something like the Mac Mini, has been so kind of great in terms of value that I hope that that's something Apple continues forward with the iMac. I would love to see a more affordable iMac, uh, maybe a couple hundred dollars off of what it currently costs. Um, but I think that still remains to be seen. Uh, but I definitely hope that's something they do. Um, and when it comes to the ports, I, I was comparing the M1 Mac Mini to the old Mac Mini, and you know the the Mac Mini, the new M1 Mac Mini definitely has more ports than the MacBooks, but it's still a far cry away from what very low powered Intel Mac Minis were capable of. And I imagine that this is probably going to be one of the Achilles heels of, of Apple Silicon. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if you do see the upcoming um, new laptops have two USB-C ports, two USB-A ports, if they do put in a USB-A port. I definitely hope they do. Um, HDMI. No, it's the past. And But that's the thing. I, I think that would be probably about it, and maybe MagSafe. Um, which is fine Mm. for a laptop but i don't think that the new chips are really going to be able or not be able to i don't think they're going to address the main issue with io um, on those machines i think they're probably just going to copy what's available on the mac mini and kind of bring that over to the the macbooks which honestly i think is enough i think most laptops have about three usb ports anyways to have potentially two high speed usb ports and two regular speed usb ports i think would be good enough for most people um but the ability to support multiple displays i think is going to be something they're going to struggle with a little bit um in terms of especially when it comes to higher resolution higher uh refresh rate displays i think that's going to be something that's going to be an achilles heel of apple silicon going forward i think it might be just a part of the design of these chips of where they're kind of sending the, the bandwidth of that, that CPU. I think they're probably trying to maximize the performance at the expense of some kind of ability to attach peripherals to it. And this, and this will be my final point. I think this goes into the idea of an M1 powered Mac Pro which to me doesn't make much sense because the idea of a Mac pro and I think there's already rumors that the the next version of the Mac pro will continue to use Intel uh, because the main selling point of Mac pro is the fact that it has PCI express lanes. Um, It has multiple PCI express ports. You can attach sound cards and video cards and all the things that you need to in a professional environment. That is a standard. It's a standard uh, connector. It's a standard power output you know usually pci express is about 75 watts from the slot um but also you know the ability to have standard power um connections if you need external power on top of that like a graphics card um and i don't think m1 that's in the m1 design spec m1 is designed to be very power efficient it's designed to be you know not very modular and you know, they could definitely do a smaller version of the Mac Pro that has an M1. That's just a very expensive, very powerful computer. But at the end of the day, I don't think that's why people buy Mac Pros. They don't buy it, buy it because it needs to be the most powerful computer. They buy it because they need those express the PCI Express lanes. They buy it because they need the expansion, um, and they buy it because they need it to to have a certain standard for the equipment that they're using for their work. So yeah, I think that's definitely going to be something that's going to become more clear as Apple's kind of plan rolls forward. And hopefully we get to see a little bit more of that later this year.
1: Yeah. I, I definitely agree with you in terms of a possible Achilles heels for these, uh, these new Apple chips, right? These new Apple silicone chips. And you're right. In terms of the display, I don't really see them offering like more than two display support until, the Mac Pro comes out, Mm -hmm. which is supposed to be 2022, right? For the new MacBook Pro that they're supposed to be redesigning, I really don't see them offering more than one display support. For the iMac, probably the same thing, right? And that's the thing. If you're a powered user to that extent, where you need, you know, two extra, three extra displays, then you're probably someone who's buying the Mac Pro. Is it going to be, I guess, as expansive as maybe an intel powered mac pro probably not right that's like you said they're probably shifting the power consumption and the bandwidth over to the chip over to the processes over to the gpu and i think that's probably some sort of calculated some calculated equation that apple has done to say hey most of our users of the macbook pros and the iMac, this is how they operate. Mm-hmm. This is what they need. This is what they don't need. So probably in that, I mean, not necessarily the Mac Mini, but probably in those calculations, they decided, hey, for someone with a MacBook Air, you don't need three displays. You rarely use three displays. Mm-hmm. Someone with a MacBook Pro, probably the same thing. So when they do come out with the iMac this year and the new MacBook Pros, I. I probably would agree with you. I don't see them offering more than, you know, two display support, but I I do think they'll have more ports than the Mac mini. Mm -hmm. I mean, that could be wishful thinking on my part because I'm planning to buy one, (laughs) but I do think at least the iMac will have more support, at least equal to what's on the current generation iMac. For the Mac Pro, when that comes out, they're probably, yeah, they're probably going to have an Intel-based one and then a Apple silicone based one. When it comes to that, I don't see them offering less interface just because, like you said, it's it's such a niche market for what they need, mm-hmm. right? They're getting it because, yes, it's powerful, but, yes, the ability to expand with those PCI Express slots. So because it's such a niche market, because you're not, you know... As they claim with the MacBook Air, the number one selling laptop at its class, because the Mac Pro isn't that, I feel like they have to look at, okay, this is what this market needs. This is the ports they need. This is the expansion they need. So we're going to have to offer it to them or people just aren't going to buy it. Now, you know there are going to be zealots who will still, no matter what they put out, go in and buy it, Mm. but... And I guess this is a question I have too, right? Are they just making it for those people? Maybe they don't make an Intel Mac Pro next year. They say, only Apple Silicon. You pay for what you get. You can't upgrade it afterwards. And this is the premium of premium that Apple has to offer. Like we've mentioned countless times, right? Apple is a premium brand. Yeah. And last year when the Mac Pro came out and they sold, what, $1,000 wheels for it. <laughs> not expecting to sell you know sell a ton of them but just to say hey look what we did so i guess to, to counter the point i made before about okay this is a niche that we have to sell to i could just as equally see them saying this is the mac pro apple silicone you can't upgrade it afterwards you can't expand no pci express for you this is it this is premium apple you don't need any better than this i could also see them doing that too and maybe they sell half of what they sold, you know, in the last generation, but that just kind of upgrades their quote unquote, you know, premier status that much higher.
0: Yeah, 100%. I think that's exactly what they're going to do. Um, And I think it's smart for them to do that. Make the professional quote unquote product for the Apple fan, but still have the professional product for professionals which is going to be the Intel-based uh, Mac Pro. And quite frankly, they need to support that going forward. That is a line that they have to support because they are very expensive machines that they promised long-term support to um, to their customers. So that's something they're going to have to support. But um, I've already seen videos of, of you know really diehard Apple fans talking about, oh, I could replace my Mac Pro with the Mac Mini because Apple Silicon is so great. And I get that enthusiasm. I get the fact that people are really happy of what Apple Silicon what the M1 can do. But at the end of the day, the fact is people are not buying Mac pros because it's the fastest computer on the market. Yes, it is a very fast computer. And yes, when it came out, it was one of the fastest computers on the market, but they brought it out. They literally bought it because of the fact that it had expansion because of the fact that it fit the standard of computer uh, components that, really big productions need to use and it the perfect case in point is right before they brought that product out they brought out the iMac Pro which is a completely um non-upgradable you know device that was also very powerful but the people who bought iMac Pros were not buying um sorry that bought Mac Pros were not buying iMac Pros because that doesn't fit their needs and I think that's going to be a very big distinction going forward I think The baseline of Apple Silicon computers are going to be very powerful computers for Apple fans who, you know, not just fans, but people who need computers that are very powerful. But the Mac Pro line is going to exist with Intel um, for the foreseeable future for people who need specific components to get work done, which is just that. And that's not a bad thing. I think that's one. It's going to be something that Apple can always compare to to say, hey, our processors is much better than than our Intel processors that we use here maybe one day you can convince them to switch when they don't need those components anymore but also it's good to have the ability to say we can cater to that very niche market like you said that needs something in particular that really no one else is providing to them other than Apple which is such a great position to be in yeah okay
1: on to our final topic recently PlayStation confirmed it's following up to the PlayStation VR and that the follow-up is coming to PS5 in the near future. You know, it has features that include higher resolution, a new VR controller, and a possible wireless headset. So I guess, how do you feel about the announcement of the new PSVR 2, and are you excited to buy one? Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I'd probably definitely not buy one because I can't even buy a PS5. But um, <laughs> uh, the, the funny thing is, There were patents, um, patent ideas, and and kind of things thrown out um, from PlayStation in the past about what the future of PlayStation VR could look like. And I think this is a much bigger step forward for PSVR than might initially be considered. Because, quite frankly, the original PSVR, as cool as it was and as affordable as it was in terms of VR, it was not great. And what i mean by that is it was using controller hardware and tracking hardware that was native to the playstation 3 far before you know vr was really ever a serious thought in playstation's mind um it was using the playstation 3 move controllers and stuff like that with those big glowing orbs on them to track and the fact is that's just not efficient and i think this idea that one playstation decided hey PSVR 1 is not going to be supported for PS5 games and then announcing very recently that we are going to move forward with a next generation version of VR shows me that they are going to actually bring that up to a more recent standard with potentially inside out tracking which puts cameras on the headset um, that can track the controllers so you don't necessarily have to use a camera you know, scattered around your room or in front of your TV, like the the original PSVR did, and essentially be much more uh, accurate, which I definitely think is something that PSVR needs to do to kind of progress forward. Because what they've kind of tackled in the past, I think they did really well. Is one price point. Um, hopefully, they can get the price point even cheaper going forward. But you know, they were the cheapest on the market at the time when they came out. The headset was. Much more comfortable than a lot of the competition on the market. And, you know, it was just a great functioning headset. But when it came to interacting with it with controllers and stuff like that, that's where it was kind of held back. And I think this uh, version of PSVR is definitely going to correct all those things. Um, So, yeah, I can't wait to see it. They're talking about, you know, it's definitely not coming out this year, but could potentially come out, you know, 2022 or, or years beyond. But it's something that they are taking very seriously and I think that's that's awesome for people who got the chance to use PSVR 1 on the PlayStation 4, fell in love with it and are just looking for the next thing, um, especially with companies like Oculus and Facebook kind of progressing with the uh, Quest and the Quest 2. VR is becoming much more mainstream than it ever has in the past, slowly, but it is becoming much more mainstream. This can definitely be an opportunity for Sony to show their dominance once again and how to do vr um on a mass scale yeah definitely i mean vr is becoming
1: a lot more mainstream right now and i think because of how well the playstation 5 has been selling i mean so much so that they can't even keep them on shelves yeah i think it's kind of a great way to capitalize on that wave of playstation 5 success you know i'd, I'd say hype but i success also 100 percent success yeah i mean they're com Like you mentioned, the controllers, they're going to be improved, right? The original ones weren't the best, but they have, I guess, a new design to them, which is going to incorporate a lot of key features from the DualSense. You know, everyone's kind of raving about the DualSense controller that came out with the PS5, how it has, you know, haptic feedback and haptic triggers. So it seems like they're going to be bringing a lot of that to the new controllers. They're supposed to have a new improved ergonomic design. I saw a great video on YouTube the other day, kind of mentioning the three details from the next generation PSVR headset. You know, I'll put a link in the bio if you guys want to watch that. But one key one I saw was instead of having this, you know, two cord hookup to the the router, which then hooked up to the PlayStation, it's just going to be one simple cord, which is going to make things a lot easier to, to game at home, right? You mentioned you had to set up a camera on your TV to track you, but now they're adding cameras onto the headset to make it easier to, one, track where you are in your room, and also, two, track the new controllers they have. Mm -hmm. There's some rumors saying that they're going to use these cameras on the outside to, okay, have a sort of AR mode, a transparency effect. Mm -hmm. So you could have games that incorporate the layout of your room into the games that you're actually playing, which is which is gonna be, I guess, a pretty big breakthrough if it does happen. But like I said, they're just rumors. There's also rumors that they're gonna have cameras on the inside of the headset, which will be tracking your eye movements, which will allow for different sorts of input, right? Not just your typical, well, not just your typical controller or not just your typical controller in each hand like most VR headsets have.
0: Yeah, like the the ability of, of Sony to make a next-gen VR headset like we were talking about with with huawei and and samsung in terms of competition really we wouldn't be where we are today with vr if it wasn't for sony and the original psvr of really focusing on making vr more mainstream making it more affordable making it more comfortable and a lot of those things that you mentioned are you know directly in response to the idea of making vr more affordable and more comfortable with you know inside out tracking and you know, easy setup and transparency modes so that, you know, you can set up boundaries and, and not worry about walking into a wall or swinging your hand into your TV <laughs> while you're playing. So, yeah, like these these are really uh, cool kind of advancements. And I would imagine, you know, Sony has done such a great job with the PlayStation 5. They're not going to screw the, this PSVR up. They're going to put that same kind of effort and, and you know, expertise into what vr could be on playstation 5 and more importantly they got the ability to make great games for psvr and convinced developers to make exclusive games for playstation 5 um you know we recently saw a playstation i can't remember what they call them the the playstation kind of tv thing where they show all the the tv thing internet thing on youtube where they show they show kind of all the the new games that are going to eventually be coming and state of play state of play thank you thank you the the fact that you know final fantasy 7 is a playstation exclusive and guilty gear strive is a playstation and pc exclusive um just goes to show that sony knows how to get exclusives to their their consoles and just as a quick shout out to any playstation plus subscribers Next month, Final Fantasy VII is going to be uh, one of the games offered on PlayStation Plus. If you haven't played it, definitely give it a try. But yeah, that's just, you know, goes to show that they have the ability to get exclusives for the platform and they've already announced, hey, developers are going to get this PSVR 2 very soon and some of them may already have it in their hands. So yeah, definitely going to have some cool experiences for PlayStation 5 in terms of VR. Um, I think the biggest question is just, can they get the price point right? Can they get the price under control so that if they can get the price point right, it could be so much as as an impulse buy of, I'm going to buy a PS5, I'm going to get the PSVR as well at the same time. Uh, Speaking of development
1: for games, right? They are currently developing games for the PSVR, but a lot of these games are going to be designed for the PS4 VR also. And kind of one hang up I have about this, one question I have about this is if they're designing games for both the PS4 and the PS5 VRs, right? There is going to be some sort of scaling down that they need to make for these games to run on the PS4. Mm -hmm. Miles Morales, you know, Spider-Man Miles Morales, a great game, but it could have been so much better if they didn't have to worry about, okay, is this going to be able to run on the PS4? If it was just strictly designed for the PS5, imagine how much better that game could have been. So I guess my question is in the beginning of this new PS5 VR, I'm going to, I'm sure it's going to be a lot better than the current VR, but we won't really see the potential of it until maybe two years, three years, right? It's supposed to come out 2022. We won't really see the potential of it until designers or developers are just making games for the PS5 VR. And they said, okay, PS4 VR is in the past kind of much like, near the end of the ps4 when we got the last of us part two how much more improved graphically was that compared to what came out at the beginning of the ps4's life cycle
0: yeah that's a really good point and i definitely think they probably have to do that right now just because as much as well as the psvr one did right now vr is still a niche product like there isn't a ton of people so if they're going to justify the the investment of developing a new VR, but also developing games for VR, they want it to be available to the most amount of people as possible. So it Mm -hmm. definitely makes sense. Yeah. Okay. For the time being, let's also support the PSVR one so that PS4 players can, can, you know, play it. Um, and then, you know, we can kind of get more sales that way and then eventually convince more people to either upgrade or even just buy a PSVR two. Um, which I think is gonna be their ultimate goal, get as many people on PSVR 2 as possible. Definitely. One
1: sort of story that I've heard floating around. So in July of 2020, a patent was published that points to a esports streaming capabilities for the PSVR 2. And this is something like, you know, insertion of a VR spectator in live video of a live event so that the remote spectator can experience the esports event as if, you know, they're present in-person at the venue where it's happening, mm. this is talking about esports, but also talking about actual sports, right? We've seen, you know, some attempts of, you know, the NBA in three D or, it's, you know, that sort of thing, yeah, right. But imagine, let's say, a year from now, when the PSVR two comes out, and there's some sort of brand deal with the NBA where it's hey, you get a month free or a year free of NBA on PSVR. Mm-hmm. So any game that you want, or maybe it's any game in your local, well, however it works out. Let's say any game you want, mm-hmm. you can sit front row at that game and you put on your VR headset and it's like your front row at the game. You turn your head, you can watch the action live as it happens, Yeah, right? There were kind of some attempts at this before, but like you said, VR is still kind of a, a niche thing. It's still growing in popularity. Mm-hmm. So if this is something that PlayStation is able to do, right? You could be front row at a basketball game, a football game, you could be at a baseball game, you could be front row at a UFC fight. Yeah. Right? With VR, you could literally be in the ring watching it happen as it happens. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think the possibility for something like that would kind of I think it would go a long way to grow the popularity of vr because not only is it okay you can play a new game in vr or there's this new you know art demonstration app that you can play in vr but once it's you can watch sports in vr i feel like that's going to be a lot of people getting into it yeah right you have let's say the 14 year old kid who has a playstation 5 and he's like hey dad have you ever watched basketball in vr he's like oh what's i never knew that what was that and you put your dad front row at a game yeah. right all of a sudden to him vr makes sense mm-hmm. right your dad may not play video games or your your parents may not play video games but as soon as you put it i guess into context of something that they they like they enjoy and it makes them even more immersed in the in the game or in whatever they're watching i think that's really when when vr becomes something mainstream
0: yeah yeah, for sure, and that's definitely something that Facebook is. It, that was the whole purpose of them buying buying Oculus, is to kind of capitalize on that. So yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Applications outside of video games is where VR is really gonna shine for a huge portion of the of the population yeah and you brought up a good point right there's
1: oculus venues which is kind of the same thing there's melody vr there's next vr there's it's not just playstation that's trying to do this you know this live venue vr but you mentioned before they're trying to make it a lot more accessible Mm -hmm. for i think what is it it's the valve index yes yeah that is a lot of what a lot of people will say is the best vr headset there is but you need a very high powered pc to run it
0: mm-hmm.
1: right so if one you have to buy it it's the most expensive or one of the most expensive vr headsets and then you need to have a pc capable of running that oculus is they have their you know own standalone systems which kind of brings down the entry costs a little bit more but if you look at okay there's a lot of households that already have a playstation 4 that already have a PlayStation 5. So they have the system to run it, they have the capability to run it. It's just an extra doorway into the household. Yeah. Right, I think I think that's kind of PlayStation's bet. And because they're already so popular, like we mentioned before, right? Selling out systems left, right, and center, it makes it that much easier for them to be popular. Where if, if you're someone who has a, has a PlayStation 4 or a PlayStation 5, You're not going to go out and buy, you know, the Valve Index and then buy a PC to run it. well, no, I can just buy the VR headset for my PlayStation. Yeah. Right? It's just like buying, at some point, it's going to be just like buying another controller as to, as opposed to dropping a couple thousand dollars on a whole setup to run VR.
0: Yeah, 100%. And also, they have the, like, we've talked in the past, Facebook doesn't have the best name recognition If Facebook was offering a product and PlayStation was offering a competing product, I would definitely imagine a lot of people would say, I would rather go with Facebook. I would rather go with PlayStation than Facebook. Um, So that definitely gives them the opportunity to capitalize on the ability to kind of compete with Facebook on those grounds to kind of be the kings of, of VR if they really wanted to.
1: Definitely. Definitely the PR is on their side, right? Even, you know, when the system first launched, comparing playstation's pr to xbox's pr it seemed like playstation had a lot more i guess big named pop culture celebrities kind of pushing their system as the cool system Mm -hmm. right so even in terms of just gaming systems they're seen as the cool systems now you compare this cool gaming system to facebook who's trying to track all your data and steal all (laughs) your information like yeah people are going to go with playstation yeah speaking of that too, right? You mentioned they have these, these great deals with game development companies, right? Final Fantasy is a PlayStation exclusive or Final Fantasy Seven Remake is a PlayStation exclusive. There are talks that the next game from Rockstar, which is probably going to be GTA, is going to be designed with VR in mind. Wow. There are talks that the next Gran Turismo game is going to be designed with VR in mind, right? So if you talk about GTA, which has been... I mean, unprecedented in how well it's been doing and how long it's lasted, right? Yeah. If you if you make okay, now the new way to play GTA is a VR headset and you have every kid playing GTA right now wanting that VR headset, right? That is that is making it so much more mainstream. Mm -hmm. Not to mention Gran Turismo, right? Which is it's a PlayStation exclusive. It's a driving simulator. What is you see, you know, you see people right now with complete simulation rigs they got two three four screens to give them peripheral vision they're sitting in a seat they got their clutch and like what is more immersive than five screens surrounding you it's a vr headset Mm -hmm. right then you don't need to worry about a whole setup in your house you just need to worry about okay i have my chair i have my steering wheel i put on my headset i'm in the car right i don't have to look around and if i look too far I'm just going to see on my living room window. It's wherever I look, I'm inside this car.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, I think that's a fantastic point. I didn't hear that about GTA, but one of the big questions that I always wondered is like, what is GTA six going to bring to differentiate itself from GTA five? GTA five is already a huge, just sprawling world of so much stuff to do. And I would imagine VR takes that to a whole nother level 100% to a whole nother level so gta 6 comes out you're in a store
1: you see playstation 5 psvr 2 and gta 6 all sitting next to each other on the shelf are you buying it uh no assuming the vr 2 is at a reasonable price i'll probably just pick up saints row 6 instead (laughs) (laughs) uh i guess any closing statements
0: uh, no, uh, just really cool to see what the future of uh, VR could be with PlayStation. I'm so glad that they announced this. Um, there was a lot of questions on whether or not Play- uh, PlayStation was going to continue with VR, and they finally confirmed it, and it's just great to hear. Yeah, definitely. Well, take it easy, everyone in podcast land. Catch you in the next episode.